Welcome to Savvy Business, Life Unscripted with your host, Christina Rivera, where our guests share their wisdom and valuable business tips, empowering our audience to expand their personal potential. Hi, Rachel Malone. Welcome to Savvy Broadcasting, Life Unscripted. I'm so grateful to have you here this evening for our Life After COVID segment, and this is really awesome. Uh, we've never talked about this subject, and that is kind of going around the Second Amendment, understanding what does that mean to right to bear arms. You are the Texas Director of Gun Owners of America, GOA. Um, a lot of our listening audience might not know much about guns or have an understanding about guns. Some do. But share with the audience, before we go deeper into how you got involved into this issue, what is your backstory in firearms? Right. So it was, I didn't have a background in firearms at all. I grew up in Texas and everybody thinks of Texas, you know, especially if you're not in Texas, you know, everybody has a gun. It's this great gun rights haven. I don't think it actually lives up to that reputation, but even as a lifelong Texan, we, we didn't have guns. We didn't discuss guns. It just, it wasn't, it wasn't an issue that was brought up in my household. I was a musician. So I was trained as a classical musician. I had my own business. I was freelancing, um, enjoying it, teaching kids. It was violin and piano. It was like, my life was classical music and um, nothing related to guns. Uh, But the topic came up when I was in my early twenties and uh, my brother actually decided that he was going to get his license to carry, which you had to do, and which you still have to do in Texas in order to carry your handgun legally. Mm-hmm. And um, he, I found out about this and I was terrified for him. Um, all I knew is I cared about my brother and he was talking about carrying something that I thought would just, you know, blow up at any time. And I, I, I cared about his life. I didn't want him carrying that. Um, but I knew he was, he was pretty convinced that he was going to do this thing. And so being a caring sister, but also knowing that I, I you know, I wasn't going to convince him just by whining about my worry. So I needed to find actual evidence. So I, I mean, I hit the internet. I was looking up all the research sources I could find, not just somebody's opinion, but you know, what's some data I can find to show either that, um, you know, guns, guns aren't a safe thing to have around, you know, there are so many accidents. So it's, you know, this likely that the gun's just going to blow up. Or even if you're in a dangerous situation, um, even having a gun isn't going to help you save your life because that's what I believed based on the very tiny amount of information that I'd found, um, or that I, that I'd managed to pick up from the media or from news stories. Mm-hmm. Well, I traced down every single story I could remember hearing about how the gun just blew up every single last one of them had a correction printed later saying, actually, it didn't just blow up. They lied about it. You know, they, they pointed it, they pulled the trigger and that's how the gun went off. Hmm. So that was enlightening. Um, And then I found other information that also changed my mind, including actually how a gun functions. You know, it's, it's not this magical instrument. It's mechanical. It's very mechanical. Yeah. No, it's difficult. I mean, people are even talking about, oh, it's, you know, it can be hard if you don't have a lot of strength. So I'm like, oh, it's not going to just happen by itself. You know, you have to do things to make it happen. Yeah. Um, and I, and I read data about how we're vulnerable. And, and this, the, one of the statistics that hit home was that um, one out of every five women would be sexually assaulted in their lifetime. Whoa. I'm one of five girls. And so that one in five, it kind of, it hit home. You know, if it's not me, it could be one of my sisters. Like this is, this is a, a real thing that we might be in danger sometime. Mm-hmm. Um, even if we live in a safe neighborhood, we do safe things. It doesn't mean we're always safe. Yeah. And then I found out that, that even just the sight of a gun, like if, if a would be criminal sees that you have a gun, 
most of the time you don't even need to fire that gun. You don't have to have these ninja Batman skills of, you know, <laughs> amazing, amazing skills, maybe seal skills to be able to defend yourself with a gun. Sometimes it's just the fact that you are armed yeah. that deters the criminal. And so my I mind was completely right changed. You know what hit me, Rachel? We had a criminologist on like ages ago. And what was interesting is I thought, okay, you know, we're, you know, women are more in uh, in danger than men or whatever. He said the biggest danger to all civilians is really the fact that you're walking around unaware of your surroundings. You know, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I love that you mentioned, you know, that the, well, my husband calls it a force multiplier. I'm not that strong physically. Men tend to be a little stronger. So what's cool about a firearm is it's like a full, um, a force multiplier, because now I have force that, hey, just see me with a gun, as you said, can deter someone from deciding to approach me. But here's the other thing. You could be carrying a gun, but you also have to be aware of your surroundings. So, it, well, you know, things don't happen to you. Exactly. Um, one, one of the, the phrases I like to use is that Samuel Colt did more for women's rights than anybody else. And Samuel Colt is, of course, um, one of the, the inventors of, the, of a modern handgun. Yeah. Um, and, and it's because it, it is effective, especially for a woman who tends to have less strength or at least be perceived as more vulnerable um, or anybody, though. Um, it, it's not just women. It's, it's um, the Ninth Circuit Court recently wrote this really cool opinion that included a lot of a lot of background stories about how um, minority communities, um, gays, other, other groups of people who have been ostracized in the past or maybe currently ostracized, they are so much safer and they, they've been able to effectively protect themselves when they use the great equalizer, which is a gun. Yeah. And what's interesting, Rachel, I've seen the research done in, in places that are gun-free zones, even other countries that say, okay, we don't have gun deaths, but hey, they have higher crime rates they're just done by other means like maybe knife stabbings or bomb um so the idea that the gun itself makes it more dangerous in the street or makes more crime is not true it's not been proven to be true right and um the issue of suicides does come up quite a bit um, when discussing gun policies and last year in texas in, in spring 2019 there was a bill that came up Um, regarding uh, firearm storage. And the proponents of the bill were saying, you know, if only we can make sure all gun owners always keep their guns locked up, we're going to reduce crime, we're going to reduce suicide. And I I went and looked up data. So, you know, I really want to know the data on this. I don't want to just make up a fact. I need to know the truth. Mm -hmm. And what I found is that suicide by gun can decrease when you have overall gun control laws. You know, when guns aren't allowed to be around, people tend to not use a gun as much. But the overall suicide rate stays the same. So if you're looking to save lives, which is exactly why I do what I do, mm-hmm. um, restricting gun usage actually isn't going to help. You know, people use a gun 600 to 6,000, 8,000 times every single day to defend themselves. Yeah. And if we, if we, if we, any restriction on that ability is going to hinder our our ability to protect ourselves and save lives ultimately. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Rachel. My friend from Japan said we have an insane amount of suicides in Japan, but it's a total gun-free country. The oh, right. don't have guns, but right. one of the number one ways she said that they're killing themselves is jumping in front of trains. So if you want to stop suicides, you got to get to the root of the problem. Why are people wanting to commit suicide and look to solve it that way instead of taking away whatever tools people might be using to commit the suicide? Right. It all comes to valuing life and caring about life. 
um, not putting all your emphasis on a piece of plastic, a piece of metal, um, you know, pieces of lead, but putting your emphasis on the value of life and saving and protecting and defending that life. Yeah. And let's talk about how many times um, in a place where someone had, was armed and was able to defend people with having an arm on them uh, with, with having a rifle, a gun, or some form of, um, ar- um, what do you call it? Firearm on them. So I mean, they think that only the bad people or that if you have a gun, it automatically, automatic, automatically will make you bad. But the thing I've said to my husband, think about it. If you're a criminal, are you going to go to a local gun store, fill out a form to see if you, you know, you'll get a gun? You're most likely going to get it in the backhanded or in, in the street somewhere. You're not going to go get it the proper means. Exactly. You know, criminals aren't going to put themselves out there and say, hey, um, I I know I'm doing this illegally, but please, you know, put me on the record as trying to do this and and catch me because I know I can't get through. They're going to find other people who are willing to break the law to give them guns. They're going to steal them. They're given stories about about the criminals stealing guns from the police. Mm. Um, You know, they're going to find some way and if it, whether it's a gun or some other tool, I mean, they're going to use a car, they're going to use a van, they're going to use homemade explosives, they're going to use, they can use everyday materials easily as a weapon um, uh, against just the everyday average citizen who just wants to come home safe at night. Yeah. Uh, Rachel, tell me, did you always, you had this fear of, of firearms. Was it from stuff you heard on the news, people, what people told you? Where did that fear come from and how did it manifest? How did you work through it? Right. I think it was just that I I was completely ignorant about guns. Mm-hmm. To me, they were this uncontrollable force. They could go off at any time. Um, I, I didn't know how they could be controlled. And I, I worked through it by just reading and researching. I read through a whole entire website that was written to help instruct women about guns, mm-hmm. um, written addressing women who didn't know anything about guns, but were intelligent people and could learn. And I appreciated that perspective. Um, and so it took me a while to work through my own fear. I, I was still very frightened um, when I started carrying a gun. Mm. But just looking at the truth, looking at the facts, looking at the people who successfully used a gun to defend themselves, including people who look just like me, um, you know, young women, musicians, you know, different professions that didn't grow up with guns. Mm. And they successfully were able to use a gun to defend themselves. And that helped me realize it does have such a value in defending life. And it could save my own life and my family's life someday. That's awesome to hear that. I mean, it's funny. I grew up in a household where my dad had like loads of guns in Virginia. And what made me scared of them is the power behind them. You could feel the power behind them, that the power is so incredibly awesome that it's scary to have that power in your hands. And, and you know, I, I think, I don't know about you, but I think the constant training also gives you that, that confidence that you can control that power. Exactly. A gun is a mechanical thing. If you don't touch it, it's going to sit there and do nothing. Mm-hmm. So it's going to do whatever you tell it to do. And you know, my husband and I teach his kids about firearms. and They're very well versed in them and they have been from a young age, but helping them understand um, the, the power that can go through a gun um, and, and teaching them the responsibility about it, I think is very important. But they don't learn that just from saying, oh, guns are scary. Leave them alone. Yeah. Yeah. They learn about that by, you know, expo- by us exposing to them carefully at an age-appropriate level. How does a gun function? How can you use it? What do we need to do um, to keep ourselves safe when we're using firearms? Those are all valuable lessons for kids to learn. And I, I wish I learned that when I was young. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you know what I love about the Second Amendment? And I don't think people realize that. They, they'll say to me, and I heard this back in college, oh, well, the Second Amendment, the, the founder just thought that it was going to be these big guns that you had to go like this and put powder in. And they didn't imagine we'd have what we have today. And I'm like, listen, it says the right to bear arms shall not be infringed. They didn't say what type of arm. It could be a sword. Uh, but <laughs> the point is that we'd be able to defend ourselves in any fashion and against um, possibly a tyrannical government, which is a, the biggest concern they had. Um, it's exactly what I was going to say. You know, they may not have precisely imagined exactly the kind of arms that we would have, but they definitely didn't even have to imagine that we could be faced with a tyrannical government. We might have to fight tyranny. Um, and definitely there, are, there could be bad guys around as well that we need to protect ourselves from. Um, they had just experienced that tyrannical government um, and, and uh, an army coming to march and take away their gunpowder which is interesting. They weren't taking away the guns um, the, the night of the shot heard around the world. They were taking away the gunpowder, their means of using their guns. And that was, that was a form of gun control that the colonists decided was their line in the sand to mix metaphors and stories a little bit. Um, it was their line, which th they weren't going to let, let um, them cross. And they were going to stand up for that right so they could defend themselves and their towns and their families. Yeah. And let's talk about the importance of being able to defend yourself as a person. Uh, I think people, well, I know myself for many years living in a city, I moved from Virginia to New York at 16. And the idea was you don't need to defend yourself. That's why we have cops. The cops protect you. But, you know, the cops always say, hey, we're always minutes away from, you know, where the danger is because we can't be at all places at all times. You can call 911 doesn't mean we'll get there in time. We might be yeah. there just in time to pick up your dead body. Uh, right. So I, I love the idea that we can protect ourselves. And I, I think it's something should people should evaluate that you don't need to look for outside help. You can train to take care of yourself. Exactly. You are your own best chance of saving your life. And just carrying a gun, it's not a silver bullet, so to speak, that you're <laughs> always going to be safe. But it's a, it gives you a fighting chance at saving your own life. Um, when you look at law enforcement, do they do they prevent some crime? You know, just by being there. Sure, I'm sure they deter some crime. Absolutely, but they have no legal responsibility to protect each individual from a crime that's going to happen. Like there, there have been court cases on that. Um, some some terrifying court cases if you're if you're sitting there relying on um, cops to come and help you out, and you realize you are your own best first defender, and and that's exactly it. Because law enforcement, they're, they're first responders. They're going to respond after the incident. It's very unlikely they're going to even be right there. They're going to respond afterwards, maybe minutes, maybe even hours. Mm -hmm. um, but you are your own first defender. You're already right there to defend yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And can I ask you, have you taken um, self-protection or self-defense of any sort on top of the guns training? Um, I've done, I've done various types of informal training. Um, it, I, I have not progressed to, you know, to a you know, black belt level or, you know, <laughs> different levels like that in, in various martial arts or other, other, um, uh, fighting techniques. Um, I, I haven't chosen to invest that time. Um, I have respect for people who do. Um, and it's, I, it's important to me to stay fit and have, I mean, there's so many ways that we choose to protect ourselves, you know, anything from looking both ways before you cross the street, make sure you drink enough water, you know, get enough sleep at night. There are many ways we choose to protect ourselves, yeah. but I think carrying a gun is, you know, is one of the tools that I, that I want to be able to have to protect myself. 
Yeah. And everyone should have that right if they choose it. Maybe not everyone, like you said, you weren't comfortable with it. Maybe not everyone will be. And and there are other means, but I like the fact that, hey, even if you do tell, uh, take self, um, what's it called? Self-defense. I know a gal in Manhattan, my friend was taking self-defense. She said the trainer that was teaching her had um, two black belts and was knocked to the ground in the middle of the night by a gang of people and was raped and could not defend herself on the ground. Um, Yeah. And and that's part of why I haven't chosen to invest as much time in that because I know how easy it would be no matter how much I train. If I train hours a day, I feel like I can still be overpowered too easily. You know, maybe, maybe I could overpower one person, but what if three or four? Are attacking me. You know, I, I, I feel like a gun is a better equalizer, but it's, it's everybody's own right to choose. That's right. And that's um, I am, point. Choose. yeah, I'm so thankful that nobody pushed me into it. I mean, even my brother, he, he was sure of his decision, but no way did he ever tell me that I needed to, or tell me that I should, or put any pressure on me. It was up to me to make that decision. It was up to me to make the decision of what handgun I chose to purchase, of what firearms I chose to purchase. It was entirely my decision. And I appreciate that. And I respect that. And I try to give the same respect to everybody else. It's your decision. It's everybody's decision personally, if you want to carry, how you want to carry, what you want to carry. Absolutely. And I think that, that, well, actually, the Constitution is law, and there really shouldn't be a... Now, just talk to everyone about the um, license open to carry, what you're working on. Because a lot of people don't understand that, really, according to the Constitution, everyone should be able to go out there right now and defend yourself in any means that you feel you need to to protect yourself. But there are blocks. There are gun laws. There are, you know, if you can't just walk out of your house with a gun in most states or, you know, you need a license to carry. In some states, not at all, like New York it's pretty much near impossible. Right. So actually in most States you don't need a license to carry. Well, yes. So in over 30 States, they say, you know, if you, if you legally own this firearm and you bought it legally, you have it legally, you're, you're legal to own it. You don't have to then apply for a permit to carry it outside of your home. You should be able to carry it. Um, so, um, 30 of the States over 30, I think it's 31 say, um, uh, we'll, we'll let you carry openly. Um, so the gun is visible. People can see it. Half of those states will also let you carry concealed. Um, a little over half, about uh, 16 will say either open or concealed. And there's an additional state that says only concealed. But all of those states, no license required. Um, here in Texas, we have a license required, whether it's open carry or concealed carry, um, which you know, some people say, well, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't that be a thing so the bad guys won't carry a gun? I say, yeah, that makes perfect sense because, you know, we know, like, it, it's, it's, it's a thing. Bad guys, if they want to go shoot something up and commit crimes and murder people, they always say, I'm going to go do this evil thing. Oh, dang it. My license hasn't come. I can't go carry my gun and commit murder. No, they never say that. Who does that hurt? That hurts you and me. Yeah. And people like us, and they say, I, I want to carry a gun to defend myself, but I haven't been able to save up um, to go to a class to get my license to carry. So I'm not going to break the law and carry a gun. It hurts us to have that license requirement. Now, now why do you think Texas is the one holding out? I, it seems strange to me, freedom-minded Texas. What, what is up with that? So we have our wonderful history and heritage at the Alamo, right? Yeah. Um, where we, it's amazing. I had some distant relatives who were there and I'm so proud of our history and our heritage, yeah. but I'm not proud of what happened several decades later. So after the civil war, after reconstruction, um, there were, there were some former slave owners here in Texas, um, who were, who had, um, 
enough control of our state's government um, that they passed a very racist law. Now, it only said if you, and they, they, they altered the Constitution just to give them authority to do this, which, mm-hmm. was, which was extraordinary, right? So, alter the Constitution, they pass a law that says you can't um, carry a handgun outside of your property. You can still carry a long gun. They didn't say anything about long guns. Didn't seem racist, except the, the white people it tended to have more long guns, and um, the history shows that, that blacks tended to have more of the handguns. Mm-hmm. And this law also was not fairly and equally applied. And you can see similar, um, very unequal applications of the law across the southern states. It was extremely racist. I'm horrified by that. It's, it's despicable behavior. But that's where it came from. And, and frankly, I think that same elitist mindset still exists today. Now, no, I'm not saying that everybody in the legislature is racist and they want it to be divided on racial lines. I don't think that's still what's going on. Mm. But I think it's, it's an elitist mindset of, well, some people should be able to carry, but the lower classes, we're not so sure about them. So you have to jump through hoops. Mm. It's still, to me, that same type of, of mindset that's just, to me, that's inexcusable. We shouldn't yeah. still have... Jim Crow laws, for goodness sakes, hanging around in Texas. It's time to get rid of that and say, you know, this is not an elitist thing. Only the upper classes get to carry a gun. Everybody's got the right to defend yourself. Absolutely. Now, what can anyone do if they feel like you did back when you started to get into this? I don't like what's going on. I want to see changes. What can be done? Can can they join um, Gun Owners of America? How can they get involved? Yes. So we count on the people of America. I count the people of Texas as Texas director. We count on the grassroots to show up and make this happen because we think ultimately it shouldn't be just us trying to lobby. It needs to be the power of the grassroots and everyday people talking to their legislators and their legislators listening. So we try to make it easy. So the number one thing to do is go to gunowners.org and sign up for the, at least sign up for the free email alerts. You can see it there on our front page, gunowners.org. Um, and the second level would be make sure you, you also join GOA. It's $25 a year for a basic membership, or you can pick a different level if you like. But that $25 a year helps us to fight every day um, across the nation for your right to keep member arms. And so we really appreciate our membership. So you can go to gunowners.org to join. That's awesome. I really, really appreciate the work you're doing, Rachel, and all the work at uh, GOA that everyone's doing. I really appreciate it. And also, to all the citizens out there, get out there so we can protect our right to defend ourselves. We don't need an outside entity, whether it be a government, police, God bless the police, but we have to be able to defend ourselves. So I really, really appreciate you. Thank you, Rachel, for coming to Savvy Broadcasting. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. If you like this episode, please share. To hear more savvy episodes and savvy biz tips, go to lifeunscriptedradio.com. To become a guest or participate in paid sponsorship, email us at christinalifeunscriptedradio.com.